he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth. Well, good morning, everyone. How are we all doing today? It is such a joy to be here with you this morning. You know, the last time I had the opportunity to speak for our 9am congregation, we had a snap lockdown and it was just me in this room looking at a cameraman um, and Alan sitting below it nodding along. So it's nice to have a few more people in the room. Um, I've been behind a camera for a while now, so any nods, any little spiritual yummies of, mm, yes, that... That's gonna keep me going this morning. So um, please feel free to do that. My name is Adam. I'm one of the youth pastors here. Um, and yeah, it's such a joy to be with you here today. Hope everyone's been having a good week, but has anybody else realised that things are starting to get really, really busy really quickly? Anybody had like three Christmas parties this week, two baby showers and a wedding? Because that's kind of what it feels like right now. It's the time of celebration. And so as workplaces ramp up their Christmas parties, everyone else who missed out on things in some of our lockdown periods are also deciding, no, it's time that we celebrate this right now. It's been a, it's been, been a busy time in the Southwood household. Um, my family and myself, we celebrated um, the wedding of Bray and Bree yesterday, which was really fun. Their second wedding, um, good to be there for the second time as well. Um, my brother got engaged a few weeks ago, which is very exciting. And my wife and I are expecting a baby. So there's lots happening in our household. It's interesting being an expectant father at 22 weeks. I don't know if anyone's been in this position before, but um, <laughs> um, our baby has started kicking, which is so, so exciting. And I'll be around the house and I might be sitting watching some TV and, and Kels might be sitting somewhere and she might say, Adam, baby's kicking, baby's kicking. And so I drop what I'm doing and I run over and I, I put my hand out and I try feel my child kick, but... I don't know, I must have a really calming nature because, um, because, my, because Bubs decides to stop kicking almost every single time I put my hand there. But it's such a joy to have that. Pregnancy comes with a whole bunch of emotions, I've realised as well. There's extreme excitement, lots of joy. And then there's a few nerves as well. You know, am I, am I ready for this? Can I, can I do this? What kind of a father am I going to be? You know, after Kelsey and I got married, we, um, it was the top question that we got asked, when are you having kids? When are you having a baby? When are you having kids? And after three years, I kind of thought that, oh, maybe they would die down a little bit once we finally announced that we're having a child. But no, now it's just all about the pregnancy. How's this going? How's that going? And your brain kind of keeps running at a million miles an hour, causing you to think and overthink and rethink everything you thought you knew about the pregnancy. It's a little bit interesting from a dad's point of view as well. I reckon you're quite involved right at the start and then there's not a lot for the next nine months. 
I feel like I'm just sitting there waiting, ready to, ready to help my wife, ready to do whatever I can, but there's not a lot you can do if they're feeling nauseous or feeling not too well. A few foot rubs, and I think that's about all I can do at this stage. You see, as a dad, there's, um, there's no need for me to, to change my diet to change my sleeping position, to, to change any kind of habits to, to alter how I'm feeling. But there's a lot going on for Kels. At the start of our journey here, I thought that, oh, surely there's a playbook. Surely there's a book that I can read that's, that's going to tell me everything I need to know about babies and about pregnancy. But the more we looked into stuff, the more we realise that there's no one book, no one manuscript that's going to tell you exactly what you need to do every single step of the way. There's one book that tries and that's what to expect when you're expecting. I don't know if you've seen this book, what to expect when you're expecting, but it's had about 40 editions now. It resembles a medical textbook and there's no way that you're going to be able to read it all. Um, But it tries to capture everyone's experience. And everyone's experience is highly unique. You know, we see some really unique and really wonderful pregnancies in the Bible. When, when Sarah and Abraham find out that they were finally going to have a baby, Sarah reacts with laughter. She just smiles and she's full of joy at this miraculous pregnancy. We read in Genesis 21, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time that God had promised him. Abraham gave the name of Isaac to the son Sarah bore. And when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. She added, who would, have seen, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have bore him a son in my old age. Sarah was full of laughter. Could you imagine someone a hundred years old with a newborn child? I think that we'd be a little bit confused too. And I think that one of the only ways we could respond would be laughter. One of the other um, unique and and miraculous pregnancies we read about in the Bible happens in Luke 1. And similarly to Sarah, Elizabeth and her husband, Zechariah, had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years, which I think is the biblical, politically correct way to say they were a little bit older. Yet in spite of this, Elizabeth became pregnant with John the Baptist. You see, every baby, every child is a miracle. And in in the Bible, we read of some really miraculous, really incredible pregnancies. Pregnancies that in normal human power could not have happened. Pregnancies that without the intervention of God could not have occurred. But there's only one that's immaculate. In Isaiah 7 verse 14, it's foretold that this immaculate pregnancy was coming. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, the young woman shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. 
Now you might be sitting here thinking, well, what's so special or, or, or out of the ordinary of a young woman giving birth? Someone within the normal age of, of giving birth, surely that doesn't stand out. Surely that's not a sign, but you see it was immaculate. A virgin falling pregnant, now that's a sign. That's something that can't be done within the normal bounds of, of our human existence. And that's the thing that makes all the difference in our gospel. That immaculate pregnancy is what hinges on everything. It's because of that that we know that Jesus was the Messiah. And it's because of that that we are all sitting here today. Gabriel comes to Mary and, and gives her this wonderful news and, and she's confused at first. She says, how can this be since I do not know a man? But he assures her that it's from God, that this will be a blessing. Pregnancy comes with a whole host of emotions and feelings. And I could imagine that an immaculate one comes with a whole lot more. A whole lot of questions and thoughts, a whole lot of processing that needs to be done. What will the people around me think? What will they say? What will they believe? Who will they believe? I think you'd need some time to process this. Basically, after Gabriel had had this conversation with Mary, Mary got ready and she hurried to a town in a hill country where she visited one of her relatives, Elizabeth, the Elizabeth we met before. She probably went quite quickly because she knew that one day she was going to start showing and she had to deal with how she was going to have that conversation, how she was going to tell people that this was an immaculate pregnancy. Um, even though she was betrothed to Joseph, this was God's child. So she goes to Elizabeth, someone else who's, who's pregnant in a, in a bit of a different way, someone else who's pregnant and it's because of God, someone else who, um, you know, the angel Gabriel went and visited Zechariah. It kind of makes sense that that's the relative who Mary went to see. And you kind of expect that in the next bit of the story, Mary would be showing signs of a bit of anxiety, a bit of fear potentially even pride, you know, I'm the one that God chose to have his child. Mary was part of a generation that knew the old Hebrew scriptures. They knew that one day there would be a woman who would bear the child of God and, and it gets to be me. How exciting is that? But that's not exactly how Mary responds. She responds by simply praising God. And we read together now in Luke 1, verses 46 to 55. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up 
the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. You see, Mary gets it. She's someone who knows the old scripture really well. And as she's processing her emotions and it comes out in praise, she actually alludes to the old scripture no less than 15 times. If you look through that and you study it, you can link it up to no less than 15 scriptures or prophecies or things that were told before her that shows that Mary knew her God. Mary gets it. She understood her needs. She understood that she needs a saviour saying God calls her saviour. Mary understood her place. She knew that Jesus would be her God. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. I think that'd be a pretty hard thing to come to terms with as a parent, knowing that the child that you are bearing will be your king, is your king. Mary gets it. She knows her God. She knows that he is mighty and that he is loving. And she shows this understanding by by addressing two massive themes, I think. She talks about humility and honour. Something that we've been looking at quite extensively over the past few weeks and, and we'll touch on for a few weeks more is the Christ hymn. And I think it follows a really similar structure. It it talks a lot about humility and how we need to seek to be humble as people of God and how we can honour Him. And Paul sets it up just before the Christ hymn by by giving us some core principles of what we need to follow. And we're going to read today from Philippians 2 verses 1 to 4. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, rather in humility, value others above yourself. This is a core principle that Paul wants us to apply to our daily lives. We need to humble ourselves. The other youth pastor here, Tim, shared a message about two weeks ago, I think, that talked about humility as well. If you haven't had a chance to have a listen to it, please do get it on podcast. Do what you need to do to listen to it. Absolutely incredible message. And Tim compared humility to death. Death to something that that we're holding on to. 
thought it was a really thought-provoking way to think about humility. And, and I've got another one for you today. I reckon that humility is like stripping away the stuff that's between us and God. Have you ever been to an airport? I know, trigger word, we'll get back there one day. Have you ever been to an airport? And you walk up and you need to do your check-in and, and you come to the queue and, and you see the person that you're checking in with about five metres in front of you and, and you wish you could just walk right there. But no, you've got, you've got this winding queue that you need to walk through. And there's a few options that you can take. You can do the thing where you, you, you kind of like limbo below some of them or, or awkwardly jump over some of the others. You can do what I do and just, just walk it out and just, just oh, it's here for a reason. I'm sure, I'm sure there's logic and, and, and balance to why they make me walk this walk. Or, or maybe you do what some people do and you, you just lift it up and just walk right to the person at the counter. I think there's a few things in our life that stop us from honouring God directly. A few things that we've put in place that that we need to dodge around if we need to honour our King. And, And I think that our ego puts up a barrier. I think that our pride puts up a barrier. Greed puts up a barrier and it is keeping us from true humility. Humility is a theme that pops up time and time again in the Scripture. James 4 verse 10, humble yourself before the Lord and He will lift you up. 1 Peter 5, 6-7, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. We need to seek humility in all that we do. But you see, humility is is a tricky concept and it's one that I struggle with sometimes. You see, in my head, the word humility is a little bit too close to the word humiliate. You see, humility calls you to humble yourself, but humiliate calls you to be a laughingstock. And sometimes I think it's hard to, to separate some of those things in our head, humbling yourself, um, taking on humility doesn't mean that you'll be a laughing stock. You're not weakening yourself. You're not making yourself more vulnerable. What you are doing is you're simply clearing the road to get to God. If we humble ourselves, we put ourselves in the optimal position to hear and believe what God says about us rather than what ourselves or other people are saying. I see humility as the the ability to be able to strip away the pride or the arrogance or the ego. It's an integral character trait that is needed for us to follow God's plan for our lives and key in us for honouring God. So how do we do this? We emulate Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate ultimate example of humility. We're going to read the first part of the Christ hymn now and this outlines how Jesus takes steps to humble himself when he comes to earth. We read Jesus 
who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So that first part outlines Christ's amazing humility and He literally is God. I think sometimes think that we're the gods of our own lives and we find it hard enough to humble ourselves, but Jesus literally is God and He humbled Himself so that He could set the perfect example for us. We keep reading the Christ hymn, starting now Philippians 2 at verse 9. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. You see, this second half, we see Paul praising and glorifying Jesus. We see an incredible respect and honour of the Lord. We must humble ourselves so we can honour our King. We must humble ourselves so we can um, um, honour our King. Humble yourself so you can honour your King. In her song of praise, Mary also points us to the kingdom. He's brought down rulers from their thrones. He's lifted up the humble. Uh, lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich are sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. You see, this depiction of kingdom is is so different to the way that we understand kingdom on earth. It's to one where we don't lay our lives down to preserve the power of the king. Rather, our king has died for us. Jesus has died for us. He who humbled himself on earth, focusing on the lowly, the humble, and the powerless. Humble yourself, honour your king, and serve the kingdom. What would it look like for you to come down from your throne? To set aside your ego and pride, to to not walk through that barrier at the airport so that you can serve those who the world sees as the lowly. To serve the neighbour the people in your street ignore. To serve those the world likes to humiliate. What if we, the body of Christ, truly humbled ourselves so that we can honour our God and serve his kingdom? Can I invite you to stand today as the um, worship team joins me in just a sec? What is God calling you to today? What is your ego or your pride stopping you from doing that God has put on your heart?
You see, all those years ago when Mary rightfully could have felt any emotion, she could have been full of anxiety or fear or pride. But she cast that aside and praised God. She humbled herself so that she could honour her king and serve the kingdom. What do you need to strip away so that you can humble yourself and honour our King? Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your immense love. Lord, we thank You for Your incredible grace and for Your perfect example of humility, Lord. Lord, I pray that this morning we can have soft hearts. I pray that as we look inward and we see some of those barriers that we've put up, that You can cast those aside in Your heavenly Name, Jesus. Lord, that any ego in our path, any anxiety, any fear, any pride can be cast away so that we can find our rightful place, Lord. Humbling ourselves and honouring You. We thank you so much that you are gracious and that you are loving. Amen. Let's worship together.